Are you tired of not having my face on your body? Are you tired? Are you tired of not having my face on your body? Well, Which one are you more tired of, and why? Are you tired of drinking out of cups without my face on it? Are you tired of taking a big sip and then looking down and only seeing white ceramic? Well, kids. Well then. <laughs> well, 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 well. Have we got a store for you? Oh my goodness! Honestly, I'm super excited about this. It's finally here. Some say it couldn't have come too soon, and and yet it is now here. So now is later than that. So it's soon enough for being right now. Uh, and if that wasn't clear, you're listening to the wrong show. <laughs> Carlpooling.com slash store has the best clothes from the best show. We've yeah. got hoodie. We got windbreak. We got t-shirt. We got mug. And don't buy this. Listen, there's a very special item at the store that is technically for sale. Technically, but you can buy it. And if you want to figure out what it is, I will say it is hilarious. If you if you want to know what it is, you're going to have to go to carlpooling.com slash store. Seriously, guys, if you can, if you want to help support the show, this is one of the very best ways to do that. We are super proud of the items that we have for sale. There's going to be more coming. We have about a billion carpooling related t-shirt ideas that are going to help you rep support the show share the show we've got some great stuff in the works and i'm super excited about it so go right now while you're listening your your smartphone can do two things at once even if you can't carpooling.com slash store check yeah. it out and soon we'll be coming out with the carpooling slash store slash leather um and that's all the time we have for today, <laughs> folks. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. Well, Hunter, I'm stuffed. Because of stuffing? Yes. Well, not, not in the same way that the turkey is stuffed wherein stuffing derives its name i haven't been stuffed with stuffing i just mean that the turkey was stuffed with stuffing i ate that stuff and now i'm stuffed so you're stuffed completely stuffed also did you know that the the because our because we're such a bunch of jokes apparently the fda recommends that no one actually stuff their turkey anymore yeah yeah no you just buy it or you buy dressing or whatever yeah well it's technically dressing if you don't make it inside of an animal mm. is there anything that they won't complain about yes what i don't know well, yeah. <laughs> but, but there might be you I, know i just hate the federal government yeah i They're do the love the judiciary which allows me to say that uh, without prosecuting me, but I hate the federal government so much. We should get rid of them, and I don't mean nope all of them. I mean like most of them. Yeah, I'd be okay with all of them actually. It would like, make my life better. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who the guy who writes some kind of treatise, and you know how government jobs work. You have to get mm -hmm. everything approved eleventy five times, and it has to be valid. This and that. 
however much money we spent having somebody say, yeah, you really shouldn't cook stuffing inside. Whoever, everybody in that chain, fire them immediately and destroy yeah. their positions. And salt the earth that their positions were grown on. We don't, we don't need to pay our government to do that. Yeah, that's, that's not how positions work. It's it's also not how evolution should work. I mean, we're trifling with we're trifling with Darwinian theory here at our own peril. Mm, hmm. I don't. You know, there's like all this crazy stuff, like for sushi and like for the puffer fish and all this insane stuff that you're not supposed to be able to do with food that we eat and live and make it. And like somehow, somehow, some way, like we thought, would it be okay if we cook this inside a bird? And like, how was that not okay? Like, like, why, where, why did we draw the line there? Out of all the places we could have drawn the line, I, I also think like, if if you don't yet know how to prepare, if you've lost the old ways, mm-hmm. and you don't know how to make stuffing without dying, that's not that's not the government's job. It's time. It's time. It's time to go. And if you're some, you know, rich financial analyst guru guy 2028 living in a high-rise in manhattan and you're trying to impress some escort you paid for by eating puffer fish Mm -hmm. and you don't do it right that's on you yeah i don't need that restaurant to get a license to say we promise that our 300 hundred dollar a plate food doesn't kill you yeah, I kind of wanted. I kind of want to take that gamble a little bit. Spend three hundred dollars on this. Am I gonna die? That's the part Am that I? makes it sexy. Yeah, exactly. How right. close can we actually get to dying? Yeah, bungee jumping. You know. Yeah, get Same all the thing. endorphins flowing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Long story short, here at Carl Pulling, we believe that near death is synonymous with sexy. Back in the middle, medieval ages, they would call it farming. They'd be like, is it going <laughs> to rain? I don't know. Are we all going to die from famine? Hey. It's like. <laughs> Take you your know. top off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you can't afford a top. Okay. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, all right. Welcome to Carl Pulling. It's a show about, yeah. well, darn near everything. Religion, philosophy, politics, art, yeah. history, literature. I don't know. You name it. We talk about it. And we do so in such a way as to piss off the people who you're not supposed to piss off. Why? I don't know. We like sticking God in the eye. As long as by God you mean the federal government, who shouldn't exist. So that's what we do. We thank you for joining us. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes right now or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon Primecasts or wherever you happen to be listening to the show at. Go ahead. Five stars is the, if you have something especially negative to say, we only read the five-star reviews. So if you want to hurt our feelings directly, leave that five-star review. And then, of course, your comments will be read personally by both Hunter and I at one of our upcoming therapy sessions. Hunter, anything to add? Um, which century do you think is the least sexiest? Hmm. That is a great question. Because common wisdom would just say... Just go to the oldest century. That mm-hmm. would be the least sexy, most likely. Yeah. But then again, there could have been health trends, beauty trends, etc. Mm-hmm. that made one century just outlier unsexy. Yeah. 
Did you ask that with an idea in mind? No. This is this is free form. This is jazz. Don't is don't try to box me in. <laughs> jazz casting right now. <laughs> yeah. Um Well, I'll say this. Every sculpture that we have from, you know, the BC-ish era, mm-hmm. fairly sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Now that some, was kinda... some of these Renaissance paintings, yikes. Yeah. Either y'all sucked at painting <laughs> or everybody looked pretty rough. Michelangelo, like, couldn't paint females for whatever reason. It's it's not really clear as to why. He wasn't allowed. I don't know what it was. So like literally like his 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 girls are gigantic muscular men with breasts. <laughs> and it's just like Mike, you want to talk about something? It just goes to show you the more things change, the less some things change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh man. Uh, speaking of gigantic muscular men with breasts, uh I don't know, I think we'd be remiss not to mention not to mention the Daily Wire Plus dropping its new comedy show. Yeah, this Friday. Looks it's, exciting. It, it's this Friday. It's called was it called Baller Babes? Lady Ballers? No, lady Ballers. Lady, yep. lady Ballers. Yeah. Um about a bunch of dudes in bad wigs playing women's sports. Mm. Great concept. We'll see what the execution is. Although there is a picture of Jeremy Boring as like a a league manager or something like that in some of the promotional material, and the face he's making, I can't help but be in love with. So we'll see how that all goes. We'll see how that all goes. Yeah. Um. If there if there's a Jeremy Boring part in it, I'm Have really you not hoping. The trailer? No, not at all. He's the main character. That's perfect. Are there yeah, any other... The, this is what I was going to say. Are there any other cameos by just Daily Wire folks? So, it looks like literally all of them. Um, oh, that's... Yeah. This has this has legs. I don't know if they'll land it, but this definitely has legs. Yeah, have you seen the... I'm going to have to go find the Matt Walsh photo. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Lord, no. Did they get Matt and drag? No, no, a lot of people say, were like I don't think that would happen. Uh wow, that's not Matt Walsh. Um yeah, I I to me there's like I I I don't know, like with this stuff it kind of has like it feels like your dad was like, "Hey, what if we did a movie together, all my friends, all my kids?" Yeah. A- and it has that uh vibe to it a little bit um i can't find the picture of matt walsh but although you you say that hunter Mm -hmm. one of the funniest things that you and i ever did was a comedy short that we made Mm -hmm. with our father about our our friend being in surgery that's right that was a great joke yeah riotously funny and we (laughs) wrote it in what an afternoon yeah 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 it was fun so times I've just, I, it could it could have legs you never know I, I you don't know it's just it's very interesting to see um what they kind of thought this entertainment brand was going to look like and what it's becoming and i'm i mean i really still think the proof is in the pudding there but that's probably a different show and probably better once some of this stuff comes out yeah um but we will see, man. It, it, it just, is quite the risk. 
I just thought you segueing with huge muscular dudes with breasts was just yeah. a little too. You can't you can't throw a layup like that and and not try and sink it. And I don't know if you noticed, but you you're obviously looking at the photo or the image with like the five guys in the lady ballers costumes, right? Yeah. Three of them are from the David and Cone or from the sports show that they do. I don't know. Crane, Crane and Company or something. Yeah, three of them are from that. So it's like, it's, yeah, it, it's everybody. You did happen to notice the logos of yep. the Lady Ballers jerseys, yep. Yep. which the L's are formed by two two stems of cherries that mm-hmm. are just. <laughs> I mean, look, look, it's got. It's got legs. We'll see. We'll see if they stick to landing. But yeah, it's got legs. Um, yeah. I'm really interested in seeing Jeremy take on yeah. a bunch of screen time. We'll see how that works. Mm-hmm. All right, the trailer well, looked good. It was yeah, cut pretty well. I'll have to. I'll have to watch it. I yeah. mean, I've liked most of the things I've seen out of uh, out of uh, their. Pendragon and their their Snow White. So we'll just have to see. Yeah. Alrighty then. Uh, uh, one more point to that that we were discussing with our friends. Apparently, Mickey goes in the public domain like later this year. Yeah, I don't just, know if that's real. <laughs> if anybody <laughs> is in within the sound of my voice, just know that that <laughs> that might be happening. Look it up. Check your local your local listings this isn't legal advice but uh i that could be rife for for entertainment purposes yes there's a ton of interesting stuff like that hunter if you've looked back at people trying to do parody with the mouse characters in years Mm -hmm. past where they just have them doing horrible absurdist things Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's it's a fraught legal legal issue that's for certain there's a huge interesting story about disney and copyright too regarding mickey because it's like he's been he was supposed to be in the you know uh common domain is that what it's called public domain public public domain for for like 80 years at this point um and disney kind of being who they are was able to skirt around a lot of those laws and change things so like even now when people are like it's coming to the public domain i'm kind of like We'll see. Yeah, They've got we'll a lot. see. For for every every Donald, they have many more lawyers. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. All right. Cool. Well, let's get into um, the part of the show that you guys have been waiting for the most, and uh, that is, of course, the funny horse of the week. Now, Hunter, for this funny horse of the week, I went completely on brand. This is a horse that ran uh, Y two K. In the 2000 race, the 2000 Kentucky Derby, it, of course, is Turducken, the horse. Oh. Yep, a chicken inside of a duck, inside of a turkey, inside of a horse's name. That's that's a thing. That's a thing. And also, if you can't cook bits of bread inside of a turkey, what's the FDA rules on Turducken? Yeah. Like you're well, you're committing you're committing a culinary sin inception there. Mm. Sinception. Which you should not Google. I haven't, but after I said it out loud out of my mouth, I realized you shouldn't either. Yes. Um all right, cool. So Turducken. It's uh 
not the most outrageous name for a horse. It's no bodacious tatas, but it is uh, still ridiculous. And that being said, speaking of things that are ridiculous, I think we're going to go Lord of the Rings first, Hunter. So here we go. Hunter is a virgin. Yeah, Arendelle sailed in the sky with the uh, symbol roll atop his brow. I have no idea what any of those words are. Burp, 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 burp. <laughs> Hunter is a virgin. <laughs> and finally, that brings us to my favorite segment, of course, Hunter the Roadkill. Please, would you bestow upon us the roadkill? Yeah. Um. So, Peter posted... Uh, it's a, a great, it's a strong start. <laughs> well, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. And so Peter posted this crazy photo about turkeys eating humans on Thanksgiving Day. And they said, we're lucky turkeys would never do this to us. You don't have to do it to them either. And it's a turkey in like a suit and a jacket and a dress. And then in the middle, dressed up like a turkey without a head, is a human being. Fried Ooh. up. Looks pretty nice. Wait and a then, minute, though. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll I'll let you cook. I'll let you cook, but uh, this one is pinging my radar. And then uh, the uh, there's a readers added context note to it because uh, this was oh, on okay. X uh, on X. Yeah. Okay, let me take a stab then. Okay. Because turkeys are are carnivorous. Turkeys are not vegetarians. Okay. Turkeys eat All right, mice, there we go. <laughs> lizards, frogs, and just about anything they can fit in their mouth. If turkeys were larger or had the technological means to farm and eat humans, their current diet reveals they likely would. <laughs> Kaboom! Oh, man. The community notes, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've yeah. enjoyed many community notes over the years. Now that there's community notes on both sides, much more fun. Much more yeah. fun, the community notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you what one of my favorite community notes are that have been coming up? Um, when you have those those mobile games that are being advertised. Yeah, that which look are like clearly not some, what is being shown to you. Yeah, that look like some kind of like cool logic puzzle or math puzzle or whatever. And you're like, oh, that might be interesting as a time waster, you know? Or yep. especially these things that are like multipli- multiplicatively stacking where you could see how big of a ball of whatever you could make by exponentially increasing, um, mm. which is just fun as a time waster. It's just something that our monkey brains love yeah. to do. It's one of the reasons we're so enamored with interest because it's just bigger number goes big, and we love that. We love um, that. I'm, lo- really- I'm playing RuneScape. Look at all the numbers that go up. It's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's just we. It's just good. Yeah. And now the community notes are like, please note. This is not what the game is. I'm like, thank you, community note. Yeah, that is a, a a wonderful service that's being provided over on X right now. Maybe the pinnacle of human achievement. I've been playing a mobile game where you have bases and you take over the bases of your opponents by drawing lines from your bases to their bases, and then just periodically. I already know what game it is. Men walk to the base and they're like, once you have enough, they take the base. Um, it's great. And oh, is this not Mushroom Wars? It is not Mushroom Wars, no. Uh, same it, game, from the, same game from the App Store of old. Yes, exactly. Of your. Yeah. And then um I get I've been I'm on like level eighty. Nice. And 
I I'm like looking at the no ad block payment for I've got to pay five dollars to get ads, and I have to watch an ad after every single level, and I'm like, <laughs> should I? And I'm all, and then I'm like, no, it's five dollars. That's ridiculous. And so I've watched eighty ads. You this are stupid game. You are the their number one customer. Their exactly. best boy. Exactly. Exactly. So That's you're welcome. Great. Total War, whatever you are. I don't even know the name. So, Also, PETA, just quit. Just I mean, quit. When's, the, when's the last time PETA posted something and they didn't get absolutely dragged? Um, or know. drug? I don't know which one you should use. Yeah. I mean, obviously, drug is the past tense of drag. But if you're dragging someone through the comment section, is that dragged? Mm-hmm. I feel like they had something going on like when we were younger when it was like I'd rather be naked than eat meat you know which was like I'm not saying I at least we the... could appreciate the sexism right well see this is the point is like like I don't know how long that was but that was like okay because every ad was sexy you know what I mean and some of that's still true today but there's also like this me too-ishness that goes along with that right, right. like the Victorian the uh, Victoria's Angels, you know, they can only be so sexy now, right? Yeah, you've got to have some, like, gimpy ones. You know, there's a, uh, a Down Syndrome uh, Victoria's Angel now, right? Which is that, all that levels is, of kind of messed up. That, but okay, that feels so exploitative to me. It really does, yeah. Like, it, if it, you've got a really sexy girl and you're like hey do you want to take off your clothes for money and she's in charge of all of her faculties she can be like mm-hmm. yes i'm not good at trig let me <laughs> let me take my top off you know this is but when way you've got, easier how how is a down syndrome person properly how can you ensure that they're properly doing that calculus which I the do. first angel couldn't do to start with. That seems like the most me too thing of all time. And here's the other, the, the icky, sticky part of it, too. Uh, and forgive me, Internet. I'm going to say something that would be unobjectionable, I don't know, 20 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see a, someone with Down syndrome dressed provocatively. Mm-hmm. Literally no one. Yeah. And the, the reason is because it feels like you're doing something exploitative. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're not doing it to make a better ad. They're doing it to get the PR that they think will come along with their quote unquote inclusivity. Yeah. So no, you're right. Now, really what's happening is they're making a Down syndrome person take their top off so that people will think they're a good company. Like, what a weird... That's super perverse yeah. to me. It's, it, you could... We could spend the rest of the show analyzing all the pretzel-style anti-ans knots you have to tie yourself into to make that <laughs> make sense. Yeah. Huh. yeah. There's not enough cinnamon, sugar, and butter in the world, Hunter. Yeah, but it's it's just kind of like you can't you can't do the pita ads anymore, right? Like because we live in that world now. Right. Right. So so like, and I feel like they just do not know what to do. Like they just seem totally unhinged and like they're putting out school marmy stuff about like not using the names of animals pejoratively yeah 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 exactly but that that see that follows all the stuff that we do with like these lists of words that you're not allowed to say from universities and stuff so like it's topical it's stuff that's like in that group you know 
but yeah. it just doesn't it does not work in the vegan argument at all because I, I guess people have too strong of a biological drive and also realize that the animals have whatever they are they are not human you know I want to I want to make a fake PETA account where we're trying to be not offensive but in turn we make it way more offensive yeah so we'll publish something like don't use the names of animals pejoratively mm. like here's some examples instead of saying you're eating like a pig. Say you're, you're eating, eating like very messily. Oh, <laughs> no, no. and then like, um, you tricked me, you snake. Say that was really mean the way that you misled me. And then just like for the third one, be like, you stink like a sweaty Irishman. And then it will be like instead say you smell oh, like yeah. body odor. And then it will be like, hey, wait, wait a minute, did you just say that the Irish are animals? We'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying to what are you talking about to be inclusive here <laughs> yeah exactly you're yeah. the creep that's cr- what <laughs> no I love that. I got love that. the insane like the ramp it up to 11 offensive PETA yeah. account yes yes i better go ahead and get an at for that before we release this episode okay all right yes uh enough <laughs> revealing my future plans to you um Let's get into today's topic. So today we're going to talk about a film that Hunter and I both had the misfortune of seeing yesterday. Um, And we're not really going to address it as a film, although we should to begin with. Mm. But we saw Napoleon. And I just have to say, what a letdown. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just not... A good film, technically speaking, a big snoozer. I mean, I was fighting sleep the entire time. Mm. It's paced really weirdly and often badly. There's like one interesting fight near the beginning, and then you have to get through hours. And by hours, I mean like probably 75 to 90 minutes of napoleon dating sim before you get to another interesting battle um god it's just tough it was a tough movie to enjoy Mm. also this might be pure heresy i thought joaquin phoenix did very a very middling job i i i I didn't find much redeeming about his performance so i really like um joaquin phoenix as an actor um i really liked him in joker um i think he does and you know he's walk he's johnny cash and walk the line he's the emperor and gladiator yeah uh, in, he's uh in her which i haven't seen i also saw this movie with him that was a little bit smaller uh, ben her no 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 uh the guy in her the movie her oh h-e-r yep exactly okay um, there was also this movie he did that I really liked. I didn't get great reviews, but it was called "You Never, You Were Never Really Here." It is about this vet who's like traumatized that basically goes down and tracks missing girls, and that's what he does essentially. And it was a really good movie. I liked it a lot. He kind of plays this very deranged character. Um, the entire time I was watching this film, I was thinking, "Who is giving him this direction?" Because yeah. he's kind of one of those actors that like can do just about anything. And so when you have him like clearly doing something that feels wrong and weird, 
it's like somebody's telling him to do that. Somebody's feeding that to him. There's a director or a script or a writer that's kind of like saying, this is what we want from you. You know what I mean? Because nothing he does is poorly acted, but he seems to, there's some lines in there that like when you hear them out loud, like outside of the movie, you're just like, what? He just straight Uh, up mumbles half the time too. Well, but that once again, like like, that feels like, the, the 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 film the film mumbles yeah, a lot he's parts. clear but i'm that's what i'm saying it's just like uh, i'm not saying it's his fault i'm just saying like mm. there was no performance here yeah uh what is the um there's a line he says to the british consult or whoever it is and he goes you think you're so great because you have boats and it's like anybody knows one that's a stupid line it's just bad it's just poorly written second he would have said navy, right? Like he would. Have, he's he's a he's a general. He knows what a navy is. He would he have called also, it a navy. He was also educated. Yeah, exactly. I like mean, it, actual Napoleon was correct. Was well educated. But Joaquin Phoenix didn't write that line. Is my point. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. And like it, it, it sounds. It was and the only and, time I laughed in the entire film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's one of those lines that is so bad. Well, there's also. I, I, I don't know. We don't want to talk about this forever, but like Josephine has that horrible line about her uh, female reproductive. Oh zone, God, that where was... she says, "If you look down, you, she's basically spreads and hikes her skirt." She says, "If you look down, you'll see a surprise, and once you see it, you'll always want it." Which is just like, I mean, so it's terrible, stupid. But yeah, you, I feel like it was yeah. like a like I don't know a fourteen year old's like dreamt that line. Exactly. You know what I'm yeah. saying? hundred percent. Oh, God, it's so cringe. Yeah. Um, and yeah. but and this I will say almost assuredly, of course I wasn't there. Um you may or may not believe that. You know that I am an absolutely ancient spirit that <laughs> parades around on the earth. But Josephine de Belhanet was apparently incredibly witty incredibly intelligent and shrewd there's literally no way she said anything remotely like that like for all the accolades that people give to napoleon and for sure bonaparte was certainly deserving of many accolades for what he did for france uh well in the time of his ascent um there was there was no doubt that which one was better at interpersonal communication and conflict resolution etc it was definitely josephine so i don't know just very stupid a very stupid line very cringy um awful that that's the kind of line you might actually expect from bonaparte you know but yeah yeah anyhow very weird very weird the uh, one thing i think we can all agree on is that joaquin phoenix is the least sexy human being of all time yeah. He has all this sex appeal of a serial rapist. <laughs> but but once again, like who is telling him to do that? Like it's I don't so know. Bizarre. I don't know. I think about him his face and I don't know the uh, that might just be totally natural. That one element. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh god god awful movie, poorly paced. Uh just terrible. Mm. However, fairly accurate um there were two major historical inaccuracies let's say um and those would be this point in the film uh it's depicting the battle 
of Egypt, which truly did happen after after um, Napoleon was promoted to some type of general. Mm-hmm. He led a conquest to the south, and he fought with the Egyptians. And this was before he became emperor and king of France. He fought with the Egyptians, and there's a scene in the film where they're fighting in front of the pyramids, which that did happen. There was a battle that happened there, but the pyramids were like, I don't know, miles away. They were within eyeshot, but they they certainly were not hit by the artillery of the French line. So yeah. that was a little goofy. And then there was also this pint, this part at the end after he loses the Battle of Waterloo, but before he he is exiled to, uh, not to Elba, the second time he Helen. was St. Helen. Um, he, there's this meeting in the movie where he supposedly met with the Duke of Wellington. That certainly never happened. Or at least there's no historical reason to assume that ever happened. Um he fought the he fought the Duke of Wellington at the Battle of Waterloo. He fought his army, but there's no reason to assume the two of them actually ever met. So, but past that, fairly historically accurate in, in a lot of ways where you don't have to take liberties, you know, some of them. And that's that's what we wanted to kind of focus in on today. There is one scene of the movie that depicts an event that to me is super captivating uh it's this nexus of a bunch of different archetypal ideas colliding and to be honest i don't know exactly what i want to say about it and i don't think hunter does either but we're just going to talk about it and see (laughs) where it goes and it is revolving around the coronation of napoleon so hunter you're a smart guy tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about coronations in general uh okay and make it up if you don't know you gotta go into the alligator pit and wrestle the crown off his head um they always do keep the crown on an alligator to make sure that the king is at least stronger than an average alligator to be and that's basic coronation stuff that's basic coronation stuff um so there, there's something called the divine right of kings, right? And essentially, it meant it, people basically took what was. I like in the how Bible. you started out super coy, and then you're going to go into the the theory of regalia and mm. and religious rights of kings. Okay, go ahead, Hunter. Yeah, um, the divine right of kings, which is basically this idea that was taken out of the Old Testament, where it says God basically elects the kings, and so that idea was kind of taken to an extreme view which it was oh if i'm the king that's because god's wanted me to be the king and it's my divine right to be the king and so everyone has to do exactly what i say because god put me here and it's like god put you there because he has something to accomplish with you not that you get to do whatever you want because god puts you there right, right. and so it, it's this confusion of what happened and so um Typically, what would happen is a member of the church, most likely the Catholic church, would be involved in actually uh, crowning the king, right? And blessing them before everyone, anointing them something similar to like a prophet, right? Uh, Taking some ashes and putting a cross on their head and then finally singing some songs and some other things like that. And then eventually, you know, by the power invested in them, 
placing the crown upon the monarch's head, and then they were crowned, uh, followed by the coronation of the queen, right? Um, this was often often the pope in in Europe, yeah. especially during this era. And, right. and it's, it's even during this era when you start having the Anglicans break away from the papacy, specifically mm-hmm. because of conflicts between the the monarchy and the papacy so it just it's worth noting here how how foreign this concept seems to us now mm-hmm. but how fundamental it was to let's say the the a chain of authority for kings in europe uh during you know, any time from i don't know the dark ages to the 1800s Anyway, go ahead. I'm to a lot of extent. That's it. Um, You know, once the coronation is done, the new king is put in charge, right? And then they go along their merry way and rule the kingdom. You know, Um, sometimes there's a, you know, not only is there the crown, but there's the giving of a scepter too, right? Which is supposed to symbolize power and all that. I mean, it changes. And there's a Roman model that Mm -hmm. derived from the Roman Catholic Church that kind of preceded all of this, but effectively there's a a um anointing then a presentation of the regalia then the mm-hmm. crowning and then the you know official proclamation of someone becoming king um the the crown jewels or the regalia are a collection of elements that differ by country that symbolize the king's authority effectively uh it could be a scepter, um, different types of jewelry, often rings, etc. Uh, occasionally, weapon, other types of weaponry, like maybe a sword or a mace. And then, finally, the crown. And the crown is this, this archetypal idea um, of a king's power. It's a symbol that is really ancient, actually, um, goes all the way i mean predates the roman empire by we don't know how long um but it's this idea of an an power deriving from the apex it sits on your head it's this incredibly ornate expensive thing it creates you know it adds to your stature that you could you could talk a long time about the importance of a crown but it was during the crowning that the the transfer of power happens between in in this case between the church and the state let's say because it it a lot like a king knighting um one of his countrymen he is bestowing upon them a rank and a set of responsibilities etc this was done by the pope so the the king often would would either sit or kneel down and the pope would he would bow his head and the pope would place the crown upon his head uh, thereby signifying that this this power that the king is going to wield is divinely given by the pope who's this stand-in for for god etc so it it's a very relevant part of the procedure and the iconography if you will so there's this interesting thing that happens in in Napoleon Bonaparte's coronation. 
and it's historically accurate and they display it in the film and I think they did a pretty good job of doing it in the film. There's some disputes between historians about how acquiescent the Pope was to this behavior, but long story short, the Pope did not crown Napoleon Bonaparte even though the Pope was in attendance. This happened in the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris and which you can still visit today even though it's uh, slightly more charred than it used to be <laughs> but regardless uh the pope was in attendance but at the point in the ceremony when the pope would have put the crown on napoleon's head napoleon reached down and took the crown himself and standing at his full height put it on his own head uh as you can assume this would be a pretty a pretty controversial move as far as tradition was concerned and the the iconographic significance of it is fairly important hunter when you learned this fact what was your what was your initial reaction uh about napoleon putting the crown on his head yeah that makes sense <laughs> okay explain it though well it's just like you know the french revolution is this very much the people taking the power uh both from god and from the state right and napoleon is kind of a quintessential version of that story right like he literally just takes away the power from the state and then recreates the state in his own image right and and of course, you know, like many of the people uh, there in the church, you know, many of the people in the French Revolution, like, you know, it was godless too, you know. Oh, and for so certain, yeah. They're tearing down their own cult, uh, religious norms in this ceremony as well. So it's just kind of like, you know, how how else would he do it to some extent? Like, how could he keep it away and still be philosophically consistent with himself, you know, or with the propaganda machine that surrounded his image, you know, he, he has to do something different. He can't accept that from the Pope. And this is, this isn't necessarily surprising for like medieval leaders either. It's like, you know, to accept the coronation and the rules of the Pope means that you have to be about the Pope's mission, right. And to spread Catholicism, Right. And so, and being good studying with the Catholic Church, and like Napoleon was never going to accept that, you know, it, it, it's kind of insanity. So yeah, and okay, so there's a really interesting. It's, it's interesting because this this happens at the tail end of the French Revolution. Mm. So a quick history primer for anyone who might not be up on their their mid century French studies. You have this system where the monarchs you know back in what the end, the beginning of the 1600s early 1600s you have louis the 14th the sun king he fought uh a lot of a lot of important conflicts and conquests campaigns for france uh he was incredibly powerful and france was doing fairly well and here just a little bit over 150 years later france is in turmoil everybody's poor everybody's starving and yet you have the aristocracy predominantly louis the 16th 
and Marie Antoinette are living in luxury in in uh, their palaces, etc. And so this is when the French populace decided it was time to overthrow the the royalty and install a democracy. And that was the back of the revolution that was fought. Um, that's why they executed Louis the Sixteenth when he tried to flee France, as well as his son, and uh, they they beheaded Marie Antoinette, the last queen of, queen of France, quote unquote. And so that happens, and then in very short succession, Robespierre, one of the spokesmen of the revolution, is effectively turned on by the crowd because democracy is difficult and he wasn't cut out to do it and so there he was philosophically consistent that was his problem he needed to lie more (laughs) well that's a it was an interesting thing because he was everybody loved him when he was the hitman for the mob Mm -hmm. but then when the mob tried to you know put dinner on the table that didn't work out so well and he became their focus die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah, or you get your head Harvey dented in. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, so then they, they kill Robespierre, and the power devolves back to these five consuls. Um, and then effectively, there's a coup d'etat where Napoleon re-enshrines the monarchy. So we we just left monarchy and we're returning right again to it a couple of years later mm-hmm. and it it seems very counter-revolutionary mm-hmm. so there's this certain aspect of napoleon putting the crown on his own head which saying is trying to distance himself i think from the past kings saying like hey i'm not like those other kings i'm i'm not just going to be coronated in the same way i'm not going to derive my power from the divine right of kings like the other kings did instead Mm -hmm. he was saying that i have the people at my back and i'm here because of the actions that i engaged in and nobody in the room is as important as i am partially because i have the backing of the people so only i can put the crown on my head um and then josephine's head so there there is a uh interesting an interesting distinction that he might have been trying to make from the previous aristocracy and the previous royalty while reinstalling himself as royalty. Yep. So that's, that's always, it, it seemed kind of, I don't know, inconsistent to me. It seems a little bit goofy, but here's the other part of it that I find interesting. And maybe we can have a discussion about the significance of this. Mm. democracy as such derives mainly from the magna carta um hunter you're an expert on the magna carta explain it to everyone it's a document thank you hunter (laughs) i um it it essentially and the, the magna carta is essentially like a bill of rights that the aristocrats in England, wanted from the King of England, more or less. Um, that could be like the one sentence description with absolutely no historical context to kind of right. explain what the Magna Carta is. 
Um, it essentially gave people, like, I, I believe this is correct, I believe no taxation without representation. That comes from the Magna Carta. Um, I have an 85% confidence in that statement. Um, you know, but essentially is a bunch of various uh, protections that the um, nobles in England wanted from the king of England, you know, that there were certain rules and certain things that had to be done and certain things that couldn't be done without uh, consent of the governed. Exactly. Um, I, I even think something about a jury of your peers comes up from the Magna Carta. That's really reaching back. Uh, yeah, I, and I don't remember a lot of the specifics from the Magna Carta, but in yeah. essence, the document did this. It said, hey, the king is not free to engage with a godlike authority in whatever behavior he deems fit, mm-hmm. right? There's there are There are things that he owes to his constituency, and effectively, it started to drive some of this power back, and it... it it wasn't just the you know yeah. the god god shone a light on the pope and the pope shone a light on the king and now he gets to effectively do whatever he finds fitting it was an acquiescence to the fact which has replayed itself throughout time immemorial that if caesar does too much caesaring then he might get some ides of marching done and some brutusing, right? That like you are the king for a variety of reasons, but one of them is the continued consent of the people who can rise up and overthrow you in the event that you, you don't take into consideration their welfare. Mm -hmm. So that certainly seems true. The Magna Carta is a document that primarily kicks off this thinking and a lot of times in the West, in modernity, we talk about our Constitution and where it derives from. And we link important ideas like the Magna Carta directly into our own Constitution. And a lot of times you'll hear this as saying that the Constitution was written by a, based on Judeo-Christian principles. You've probably heard some political commentators discuss things in those terms that is referencing this primary idea and so let's let's dig into that a little bit um when you hear those terms hunter what what does it make you think about Um, well i pull up a quote here sorry i was you might have to cut some of this i was looking up at the magna carta trying to see if that was the two things I said were true, and they were true, which is exciting. Um, I, I will cut. Kind of the... I will cut nothing. Oh, okay. I, I was just saying when when people talk about our own constitution being based on a Judeo Christian ethos, yes. What are they talking about? Uh, they're they're essentially talking about. Well, I mean, like they're ta- the basically the rights and the benefits that come from the Judeo Bible, right? The old and new Testament and, um, a little bit of Greek philosophy, right? Are where a lot of the medieval ideas, the culture that everything came from, and they produced governments that transitioned away from monarchies into democracies, right? Something like that. Right. Um, 
And so, you know, they're basically taking these principles that are like, you know, it's not only the king that is divine, it is us, the people that are divine. And because we are divine, there are some certain privileges and restraints that need to be placed upon the king and upon the government and upon the aristocrats. Right. right. And like it just kind of gets expanded and expanded out until it's the individual, essentially. It's based on the I mean, I think that's the primary idea. And it's based mm-hmm. on a couple of ideas. The first one, and this is from, you know, the the Old Testament, the Torah, is that we're made in the image of God. Right. You know, all the other beasts are subject to humans, but but humans were formed in God's image and received his breath. And so there's this identity of the divine imprinted on us. That doesn't mean that we are gods or we should aspire to be gods. It does mean that God put a piece of himself into us when he created us. And if you believe in that idea, then it's wrong to violate the rights of any other person. And this is exactly what the founders and framers were discussing uh, in, I, I'm going to fumble this now, but I believe it's the the Declaration of Independence when they say that people are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights mm-hmm. of these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not, and this is, this is where you can see the evolution of the Magna Carta taking place in the American Constitution, but it's not protections from the government that need to be awarded to the people. It's rights that the people have directly that the government isn't, allowed to trample on because yep. they're de- they derive from the highest power uh the creator himself so mm. that's that's part of that ethos and then of course if you expand that to the christian milieu then then of course christ talks about the rights uh and and importance and value of the least of these constantly right so there's the, it's replete and concordant with the idea that the the mark of the divine is on every every soul mm-hmm. um, and that's what derives i mean that's that is effectively what gives you government with the consent of the governed mm-hmm. which had not been was not a feature for the majority of human history so it's exceptionally interesting that that should occur going to this quote this is this is by John Adams, his address to the Massachusetts militia, militia October eleventh, seventeen ninety eight. You've probably heard this piece quoted. Our constitution was made for only or only for our moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. I'm going to read you a little bit more of the context because I think this is such a brilliant idea. Because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion avarice ambition revenge or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other super interesting Mm. quote Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's no denying what he's talking about when he says that the Constitution is only made for a moral and religious people. Mm-hmm. He's saying that that no government, especially not a govern a government that manages with consent of the governed, can handle the passions 
and indiscretions of its constituents. Mm. So if we're going to govern a group as if they were divine, then they must act in accordance with that divinity. You have to respect it in your own life before the government can respect it in in you. Is that kind of tracking the system there? Yes. And John Adams was a smart guy. I take no. his word for it. Yeah. Uh, was he the second president? I don't know. Washington Adams. Yes. Yeah. I had to sing a little bit of the song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they thought he wasn't going to make it. They're like, Washington Adams? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> they seri- yeah, seriously. Seriously. I don't know this. Say what you, say what you mean. Well, Adams, I mean, like, Washington is, like, a creature oh, of legend. Oh, they thought this he, he wouldn't be comparable to George. Yeah, and Adams was kind of like a, uh, I think he was short or something. Like, he was diminutive in some form or fashion, right? And so when you compare Adams to Washington, there is no comparison. And so when you have, like, these monarchies, you know, that were in charge of these other kingdoms looking at, you went from Washington to Adams? Like, it's gotcha. kind of untenable. Well, then you had Jefferson, yeah, the tallest of them all. They needed to change. Yes, sure. Why not? He, wasn't he, like, legendarily tall? I have no idea. Jamie is dead today. Yeah. Uh, and if she wasn't, she would tell us if that was true or not. Or he. Yeah. You never know. Um, all right. So, let's let's bring this back. So, that's a, that is... A explanation of the the proper derivation of divine authority in the government and this is what the judeo-christian founding of america is based on it's this idea that hey it's not some you know papacy in a really nice villa in rome that awards you with the divine right of kings it's the people themselves that have the mark of divinity in them and given that they are properly respecting that then a government that properly respects them might endure that's the idea and so to bring this this back to napoleon's coronation you have this really interesting you have this really interesting situation that rises up and in a lot of ways i think this is where let's say the french revolution failed where the American Revolution succeeded. You have a situation where borrowing from the crib sheet from the Magna Carta, Napoleon correctly recognizes that his power derives from the people, but doesn't understand that the reason that it derives from the people is because of the divine. A really interesting misunderstanding in my opinion Mm -hmm. and he puts the crown on his own head and it i mean there's something there's something very human about it but also something completely luciferian Mm -hmm. Uh, i think you see that even like in the movie yeah i don't uh, think it's played up that way at all i just think it it, it you mean intentionally correct yeah yeah explain that that that's it like i i think i think just the event itself is like some somebody taking a crown and putting it on their own head and 
the w- one way the movie does that is because it basically leans into the idea that Napoleon grabbed it from the Pope. Um, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily false. Historians are idiots and they can't agree on anything because they weren't there. <laughs> so they always like to cover their bases with that. But regardless of what happened, um, you know, the, the film creates that image that it's Napoleon grabbing it from the emissary of God, you know, and placing it upon his own head, which if, you know, it has this, um, it's true iconographically, if not factually, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, yeah. So you yeah. watch, you watch Napoleon proceed from this point. It, to me, it reminds me a lot of, of Lucifer's fall in a certain sense. Um, just like what that guy talked about when he was trying to arrest Jean Valjean. What? Les Mis. From Les Mis? Yeah. I don't I don't remember. Oh, uh, what's the investigator's name? Oh man. The he talks one about, character I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember him either. And he talks about he basically sings this song in the play about uh, a song a line in there has something to do with Lucifer's fall from heaven or whatever and so that was it. Yeah, well, and it well, seems so topical because it's like basically the same time period. Yeah, so. French Revolution. One of yeah, them's yeah. real. Yeah, <laughs> the other one is real. Is really real. Um, yeah, but it's it's like close, but not quite right. That it's there's something uncanny about it, truly, because yeah. because God was cut out of that arrangement, even though God is the reason that that arrangement was ever imagined in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you look at what happens to Napoleon after that moment. He certainly wins many conquests for France. I mean, he goes on to conquer the Austrians and many of the Prussians. And um, he, you know, he, he deals such a mighty blow to Russia that Alexander the first lit Moscow on fire himself to try and prevent their advance in the long term, that was successful, but it was actually that, that play by Alexander the first and Napoleon's pride in the aftermath that caused him to lose his campaign in Russia because he refused to retreat uh, his forces South for the winter and tried to wage a conquest in Russia in the winter and history is replete with examples of why that's a terrible idea uh mm-hmm. thank god <laughs> and so he it, it's because of that that he's exiled to Elba in the first place which is where he met Fernand and Edmund Dantes yeah um, lucky him a chess piece it's lucky that that happened and because mm-hmm. without that then who knows if Edmund Dantes would ever have to you know seek out his revenge in such an exciting way yeah and Cavizelian way if you will and yeah. so Jim Caviezel's a good looking guy it just has to be said every once in a I'm, while I'm offended at our audience for not liking that film as much as I did I'm what? gonna take it against every single one of them they don't know what good cinema is it's not my fault wait our audience didn't like Count of Monte I, Cristo I just hear feedback from people being like I watched that film and like oh great how'd you like it and they're like eh and I'm like you're people, dead to me. people that are lukewarm about that film don't understand it. 
Well, we re- we did an entire podcast explaining it to them. It, it's it. There's no two ways about it. It is it yeah. is perhaps the greatest film ever made. Yeah. Sorry, you're all wrong. Yeah, and if if you don't, if you think it's okay, any ambivalence reveals the lack of intellect of the ambivalence holder. In this wow. case, wow, you just did that to the entire audience. Way to go! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not every show where you get to call them idiots. It's nice. It's nice. Feels good. Feels I good. Did, feels, I didn't say like the money. word idiot because I thought they wouldn't get it. Uh, oh. But now you've given me away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> regardless, yeah. he's exiled to Elba, which is a precursor to him escaping Being the exiled island. again. <laughs> well, well, and the Battle of Waterloo, which is like a, his prime catastrophe. Yeah. Waterloo was such a catastrophe that now it's used to describe every everyone else's catastrophes. You know, mm-hmm. that was his Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons that Waterloo was a catastrophe is because Napoleon had no chance of winning. He should have retreated again, but he was playing for pride and not for not for anything else, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's that's the, you see this demarcation in his his life where he almost understood the score. He almost understood what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um but his failure to integrate the divine into his relationship with the people uh, un- undid undid his reign. Mm-hmm. And of course, it, there's there's many such stories. I think it's one of the reasons why Napoleon's an interesting character. Yeah. Uh, I, and what, I think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say it seems very clear to me that the moral takeaway from this story is very simple, and people have probably grabbed onto it at this point. And I'm happy for that because I just think it speaks to, you know, what our audience can uh, connect the dots on and see through. And, you know, it just is good to have these conversations with you, Christopher. And that, of course, is don't be French. Yeah, it's certainly not something that you would want to do if you can help it. Uh, being French, a huge mistake, generally speaking. Major mistake. I mean, the cheese. Are you kidding? Disgusting. So. Le Français c'est mal. Um yeah. Yes, uh, indeed. I think here's the question, and I don't know. Like I said, I don't know exactly what the answer to this is, but it's a it's a turning point in human history, and it's an archetypal story. And the failure here was the failure to properly integrate mm-hmm. the divine and God into our relationship with the state. Yeah. So I think that's the question that you have to walk away pondering is, yeah, how do you properly integrate? You know, because there's a bunch of morons that talk about the separation of church and state. If they ever read the word "in God we trust" on a coin, then all of a sudden there's a there's a fascist conspiracy to install a theocracy in America. Uh, that of course would be hilarious to all the people who enshrined the separation of church and state, as it's known in our political body. So. I think that would be a question worth pondering for our audience. How do you properly integrate the relationship between the divine, the king, and the masses? And how do you properly demonstrate those roles? And maybe the Old Testament has some answers. It's a long, differenter conversation, but... yeah. It's a it's a story worth asking ourselves when we see these essential essential human moments play out. So mm-hmm. 
That's all I've got to say about it. It's interesting. Don't go watch Napoleon. Don't go watch Napoleon. Unless you just like bad movies, then you can go watch Napoleon. Oh, yeah, then watch it. Or if you need, like, a two-hour nap. <laughs> yeah. And you really, really want to get it, like, in the middle of the day or something. That's right. Oh, well. It's too bad, man. I'm going to go see the second Joker movie and go, where were you the whole time? Where were you? Yeah. Walk him. Walk him. Joaquin. Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's get out of here, Hunter. So follow us on all the social media. I'm at Chris X Carl. He's at Emotional Carl. Uh, the show is at Carl Pulling. You can find all of our links and references at carlpulling.com as well as uh, all of our past episodes. So leave us a review on any site where podcasts can be listened to. Also, email us at carlpulling at gmail.com. Indeed. And if you are married to a famously short but not historically short French emperor and you realize that you don't have a single tooth in your entire head because you've been in the Caribbean chewing on sugarcane for a long time, you might qualify for a free denture based on your your empress insurance plan. So it's time for you to find a, an oral surgeon and get tested. <laughs>